Hello and welcome to Every Horror Movie on Netflix, the show where we watch, review, and discuss every horror movie on Netflix. I'm Chris, back again with Patrick. Hello. And Steven. Hi. And it's a new year. New year. A new decade. New decade. We we are now a a decade-spanning podcast. We are. Yeah. We've also been around for two years, which is exciting. It's also not technically a new decade yet. I don't know if we can get into that argument. Oh, my God. Listen, now I'm just trolling. I'm just trolling. Oh, thank God. Thank (laughs) God. We're also into a whole new year of uh, considering uh, Spirit of Jay Award nominees. Oh, I guess that that does begin with this movie. Mm -hmm. The Haunting of Molly Hartley. The Molly of Molly Hartley. That's the show we're doing this week. I picked it out. You're welcome. Yeah, so let's let's dig into that. Let's get into the psychology behind this pick a little bit. Why the haunting of Molly? You Hardly? mentioned you you were looking forward to some bitchy teen action. Well, I mean, what, one of my favorite movies is Mean Girls. A lot of the little horror movies and concepts I come up with kind of revolve around uh, high school setting. I don't know why. So make up your own psychology. I, I wrote that. down in my notes what was high school like for Chris. <laughs> Not great. The best I can figure is it was kind of the beginning of my, uh, you know, filmmaking career, so to speak. And I was, I did a lot of like writing shitty, like five page movies in high school, almost none of which were actually made. And they would always involve what I had to work with, which was like high schoolers. Write what you know. But I don't think that's it. I think I just like kind of the mean girls thing and the, the, the blunt, archetypes of of social cliques that you get in a high school drama yeah um and the way the social sphere is the the politics and the stratification and how those things play in a story is is kind of funny to me so but you're also known for learning as little as possible about these movies before you watch them so like as you were going through netflix what made you what grabbed you about this one it just said the haunting of of Molly Hartley, and the the thumbnail was like girls wearing uh, private school uniforms. Mm-hmm. One of them had really big hair as well. Mm, yeah. Oh yeah. It, it looked. She's got like '80s Michelle Pfeiffer big hair. Yeah, but it's clearly a movie from the mid 2000s. Yes. So like, as I was looking, as I was like researching this before I watched it, I found that kind of intriguing too. I thought there's probably an element of camp to this movie. 2008, this film came out. Well, actually, let me let me um, dive into my psychology a little bit. Yeah, more. yeah, yeah. Please, because Let's peel back the layers of the onion that is Chris's brain. Here's another layer to the onion. You know, the I, parfait. That one is one of my brain. favorite things in a movie is something ridiculous that's played with a straight face. And I thought of that as I was watching. So this camp, movie. and I think high school is kind of a campy experience in itself like everything about high school and the social cliques and the things that kids are concerned about in high school is pretty ridiculous it all but seems so important at the so time but it's utterly meaningless kind of like life itself right like so it's like i work in the schools now so like i go to the high schools and stuff and i i walk around and it's almost impossible for me to discern like who the cool kids are and who the not cool kids are so to speak because i'm like these are all like little kids and i go there as an authority figure now and it's like 
But in their brains, there's like this whole hierarchy going on. It's right. Epic. It, so it's, it's interesting for them. So I don't know. So, so I want I want to back to because we've this is a concept that's come up so many times. Whether it's Avis possessions or something else, you always return to this notion of ridiculous ideas played straight. And I never quite. Maybe you can define that better because any horror movie to me, most at least most of the horror movies we watch seem to involve ridiculous ideas that are played pretty straight. Like they seem to be taking themselves seriously. So how do you, how do you define that? Maybe not ridiculous in terms of unlikely or or uncanny, but ridiculous in terms of silly or, or comedic. Mm. Um, mm. I think that's that's what's so funny to me about like the, the Paul Verhoeven's movies. You know, he he goes far into parody basically and satire, yeah. but all the characters are not aware that it's a funny movie. Yeah. <laughs> you know? True. And that's, True. that's always funnier to me than a comedy that that's laughing at itself. Mm. And I don't know why, oh, but yeah. how are you, is, is that what you were expecting with this movie? Like, how are you able to discern? No, not at all. Tagline? Okay. Okay. I was just like, Oh, let's gotcha. see, let's see a, a, like a possession movie set in a high school. Add, add that layer of, of drama to it. Um, mm. Yeah. Well, so we should explain the setup of this movie, but first, I'm going to do my obligatory plug thing early instead of later in the episode where, you know, you may have already turned off the podcast by the time that I usually say what I'm about to say, which is... Are you selling stuff? I'm selling stuff, baby. We are selling stuff. What are stuff. you selling? <laughs> what are you buying? <laughs> uh, we have t-shirts. You may know this. You may not know this. We have beautiful Every Horror Movie on Netflix t-shirts. Uh, you can go on our website, everyhorrormovieonnetflix.com, and click the merch store link. They're beautiful. They look like the blown away classic logo from Maxell back in the day, except there's blood rushing out of the TV at a dude in a chair. Um, they're very stylish. I'm wearing one right now, he's wearing, actually. He's the guy that wears the band t-shirt to the concert. Yeah. You may be able to hear the shirt through the microphone. If not, mm, adjust your stereos. Um, or just buy one of these fuckers for yourself. They're pretty affordable, and we get a little uh, little cut of the deal. So, you know. It's it's cool. Follow us on social as well, Amoncast, E H M O N Cast. Uh, we love you. Show us some love back if you feel so inclined. And thank you to everyone who's already bought a shirt. Yeah, You're helping sold, us keep the lights on. We've sold these fucking shirts all over the world, which continues to blow my mind. So, uh, yeah, keep spreading I, the good I, word. I've updated my LinkedIn to say I am in international textiles. Ah, yeah. Looks what, better than podcasting. What kind I of? Need you to, I need to have you brush up my resume. I think that's pretty pretty clever there. What kind of in mail have you gotten as a result of that? <laughs> I'll check my in mail. Good. Um, All right. So fucking the the haunting of Molly Hartley though. Yeah. So I picked this movie and I was feeling good about it. And again, I also picked it because there was nothing really drawing me to it. I was just kind of my instinct about the title and the setting. And again, now that we're picking kind of our own movies, I still want to have that wild card factor where it's like, this is a movie I would probably never watch otherwise. That's just, I have no idea what it's about. It's just there. But as soon as I turned it on, I thought, uh-oh, I fucked up, guys. Because oh. <laughs> the, the first 30 seconds is like uh, a drone photography, like over a forest. But is um, it a drone? Because it's 2008. No, I, I think, think it's, it's a helicopter Yeah, it's shot. actually a helicopter yeah. shot. Yeah, which made me think about how ubiquitous drone shots have become since then and how that's absolutely going to be one of those like obnoxious uh, stylistic ticks that we're going to look back on the 2010s for and go, oh, God, yeah, that mm-hmm. was... That was a thing. So so uh, we have to give the movie credit because starting your film with a drone shot in 2020 
it's now 2020 i can say that um is 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 kind of an obnoxious thing to do but at the time this movie was made i think it was 2008 Mm -hmm. yes they actually put the damn thing on like a helicopter so it took a little more it was as much of a trope in films back in 2008 as it is now it's just easier to do now and it it looks cheaper yeah it looks worse well it looks terrible on netflix because of when you're the forests are one of the like highest bit rate things. And if you're beginning <laughs> the movie with that, yeah, because right. I find that like the quality usually gets better after the first five minutes or so right. as it buffers. But if you're beginning with that much visual information, right. it's going to look like a fucking mess. The the streaming cannot get ahead of what's being presented to it. So this movie just looks like very pixelated for the first scene. But um, it, it, it's it, almost it's as strong a start to a movie as starting a podcast talking about bit rate. You know, we're talking about the format. We're talking about presentation. I watched Martin Scorsese's Masterclass, okay, mm. over the holidays. and he. Talked- oh, you mean The Irishman? <laughs> no. <laughs> he has put out two Masterclasses, I guess. Um, and he was talking about, you know, presentation. You got presentation that is as important as as, as preservation and, and, curace- and curation. Were those the? I feel like those are the only three things Martin Scorsese talks about in his master class. <laughs> it basically is. It's just kind of. It's like going to a college class and the professor's an old, interesting guy, but he's just sitting on a stool in the corner telling you anecdotes about his life and the things that interest him, and not really teaching you anything about how to make a film. Here's the. But, here's my question about the Martin Scorsese master class, though. Is it cinema? No, okay. but he has a lot of interesting takes on that. I won't get into that. The most interesting thing I learned is that. Black and white is color, and color is black and white. And I actually thought about that watching The Haunting of Molly Hartley. Now, what does that mean? So, basically, his his premise is, and I'm explaining it poorly, um, to use color in a film, or, or using color in a film should be deliberate. For a while, if you shot your film in color, the mere presence of color and the use of color elevated the picture compared to black and white but also black and white can be moody and you can do things with it especially now where may you know if you put your movie in black and white you're usually doing it for a purpose mm-hmm. <coughs> Watchmen. so nowadays to shoot a movie in black and white is more of a color choice than shooting a movie in color if you're not planning to use the color to elevate the story Mm. I can get down with that. So that's I, that's you know I don't want to pick on the haunting of Molly Hartley, but you know a movie that doesn't really do a lot with color. Although I don't know, it kind of does. You get some blood on some white dress shirts. You get some some golden hour uh, lighting towards the end of the movie. It's my golden hour. <laughs> anyway, yeah. So uh, now that we've taken that wizard's hand, uh, so why Snake's were snake's hand? God, damn. it's a wizard's <laughs> hand. It's it's meme now. Meme is more than reality. Why were you? Why were you feeling like you had made a bad decision in the first thirty seconds? Just, just because it started with that aerial shot that I thought was a drone, and it started with uh, some titles that were kind of in a, a weird font, and I was like, "Oh, this is this is low production Looking value city that looks very cheap." Maybe so, I should maybe I should drop this knowledge on you guys now, um, since, we're here, since we're here in my garage. Uh, <laughs> uh, this no movie, one's gonna understand that. Uh, it doesn't matter. I love it. I'm surprised Patrick didn't even understand. I, I have no idea what you're so much. About. All right, whatever. Ty Lopez. Um, so, oh. <laughs> this movie 
looks extremely cheap. It was made for $5 million. It was theatrically, theatrically, sorry, I have a cold listeners. It was theatrically released and it made $15 million. Wow. Yeah, it was, it I was successful. I had no idea this movie was actually a hit. This Good looks for them. Was it in wide like, release? I, it must have been. Wow. Good for them. Very strange. Well, um, G- Jesus Christ. Let's explain a little bit of what this is about, though. So, like, the the prologue is there's a, a girl running through, well, walking through the woods, following strings that are yeah. leading her to a cabin. They're like, keep going. Almost there. Very cute. And then she gets there. Big, cute. The first of many big, dumb jump scares in this movie. Her boyfriend's there. They're going to run away together. Then her dad shows up, and he's like, fuck, no, you're not in the fucking car dad is wearing zodiac killer cosplay oh yeah he's full <laughs> zodiac and she's wearing like a sundress and he's like put some fucking clothes on yeah. as if she's wearing like lingerie yeah. or something yeah she looks fine and but we find this out begins a pattern she of, does like, look very fine. overprotective had the big crush on her film. yeah um it's about to be her 18th birthday and he seems to be sort of surprised that her 18th birthday yes. is coming up. He's like, you're about to turn 18. I and can't then, let you turn 18. And then suddenly the drive home turns into a suicide mission. He's trying to ram the car into something and kill her. He fails, but then sort of like the car stumbles out onto a road and then is just... uh Gets hit I'm by a for? giant truck carrying straw bales. Yeah, just like, I mean... I cackled when this happened. This was like almost on the entertainment level of Michael Myers getting hit by the fucking truck that then gets hit by a ambulance or whatever it is in Halloween. Too. It's kind of like how I laughed when our protagonist got hit by the car and nails at the beginning of the movie. Yeah. Cause it's just like, it comes out of fucking nowhere. This isn't the first or second or third movie we've watched for this show where there's just a, a, a truck accident out of nowhere well, in the first scene. This one was funny to me though. This was particularly funny to me because the dad is actively trying to crash the car and kill the girl and, and he fucks it perhaps up. himself. <laughs> and then seems like she's kind of like gotten them out of harm's way and then they just get unceremoniously plastered by this truck. That was why it was I just so thought funny the straw bale I felt like I was watching Wallace and Gromit when like all this <laughs> all the straw bales tumbled out of the truck. <laughs> but and then, and then that's not enough. Then he slits her throat in the car after um, they've just been fucking or, or something yeah he has a shard of glass and or, he yeah, stabs he, her yeah, somehow we don't, it's not on camera but he has like a sharp implement that he finishes finishes her off with um, that all takes place in 1997 I think and then yeah. we flash forward to the main events our main character in the main events in, in present day meaning yeah, present 2008 day. which yeah. is like, when you're making a movie you gotta be careful how you put your titles because you see present day and when you've said it's 1997, I don't know. It can create an issue if you're watching it down the road and you don't know it was me in 2008. I think you're supposed to believe it could be happening right now. Here. That's in an interesting town. point. <laughs> I did like the, the title that showed up under the first girl's name when she was in the cabinet. It's like, I forget her name. It was like Lisa Martel, 1997. And that was all I liked the information. It, too. it was very the Irishman. It was like the Irishman. <laughs> and, it, and then, especially because her dad looked like the Zodiac Killer, I'm like, oh, are we going to be seeing several vignettes of girls yes. who have gone missing or yeah. whatever and, and slowly it. learning more and more about yeah. the curse or whatever i mean that mm-hmm. i mean immediately that was kind of like the classic case of chris rewrites the movie in my head or i mean it was patrick mm-hmm. rewrites the movie in this case but i was like that would be an interesting movie if you follow like multiple people who i eh, yeah mm, whatever mm, what's it, next? yeah it, it begins like it's going to be some kind of like 
funny you mentioned Zodiac, but like a Zodiac type procedural where there are like multiple murders being yes. investigated against the backdrop of a of, of like a crime investigation. And now what we get, we start with one really dull girl uh, being proposed to and then being killed by her father and then the truck full of hay bales. And then we just follow another very dull girl for the rest of the movie. Wait, has there ever been a horror movie that's done a Zodiac-like thing where there's like a curse or something like that that is being followed and investigated over the course of like multiple characters, multiple victims, multiple decades? Because... Saw. (laughs) No, a single movie. Multiple decades? I don't know. That sounds a little bit like... uh, Terrifier in the shadow of the <laughs> in the shadow of the moon. Or not, or not terrifier, uh, terrified. Oh, sorry. I, I that was a totally unintentional. I thought you were up. trolling. No, no, no. Terrified, which is I think an Argentinian movie that Del Toro's remaking. But it's all like, it's like there's a curse upon this this like tiny little like two block stretch of a neighborhood. But we see weird shit happening from different characters' perspectives, and they kind mm. of like subtly cross paths with each other. Mm. That's sort of similar to what you're talking about. I want a horror epic that follows like some evil. I'm I'm writing this. I'm not going to say anymore because there might be uh, intellectual property theft if I keep talking. (laughs) All right. All right, Um, yeah. Let's get to our fucking main. The connective tissue here, yeah, from the prologue is we we soon meet our main character Molly Hartley, who is a high school girl haunted by an experience that she had relatively recently, it seems, where she was stabbed with a pair of scissors by her mother um, in what we recognize as the same sort of pattern of behavior Mm -hmm. that we saw play out in the prologue. Right. So I'm glad that you referred to that as the haunting because that was kind of puzzling me even until the end credits. Like, what really was the haunting of Molly Hartley? Like, yes, she's haunted by an event from the past, but I feel like that implies like a supernatural haunting in the title. And it's a total misdirect for audiences looking for a typical sort of possession story. That's interesting. I didn't even mean to, to, to describe it that way. <clears throat> but yeah, because you see the haunting of Mo- Molly Hartley, and it sounds, just based on the title, you think it's a possession movie. You think it's another, like, girl strapped to a hospital bed, you know, fucking herself with a crucifix yeah. type thing. That's what I assumed we were getting into. Yeah. No, not at all. Me too. And you know what? The parts of this movie I didn't like the most were the parts where I thought we were just doing the build-up to that, where she's hearing whispers and all that stuff. Right, kind of that kind of boilerplate spooky stuff, but there's nothing really spooky going on. Stuff that we see in a lot of these movies, where it's right. like, oh, the door closed, oh, there's whispers, oh, I saw a shadow, all that stuff, and I was like, all right, she's gonna get possessed. Let's in cut, a way, the title could be because the title does work literally if you think about the way that she is haunted by an event that happened um, involving her mother, and she keeps having visions of her mother escaping from a psych ward or mental hospital of some kind to attack her. Um, it it could actually be kind of an ingenious title in that it is it it is literally about a kind of haunting that Molly Hart is experiencing, but it's not going to give you the type of the same roller coaster ride that you would get from a traditional possession movie. Perhaps I'm giving the filmmakers too much credit here. Yeah, they were just trying to sell the movie based on the popular concept of a possession movie. If you throw the haunting of or the exorcism of like just a generic name, people will show up inexplicably. Mm -hmm. They will. Yeah. I don't get it. I mean, I, I don't know if I want to talk about this too much. I think I covered it in an earlier episode, but I am. Uh, I think the possession g- subgenre might be my least favorite in horror. Mm. I find it 
just interminably boring. Mm-hmm. And I've never seen a possession film except for one that I may mention later that I, I spoke with you about earlier, Patrick. I don't think I've ever seen a possession movie that made me feel um, terror. Mm-hmm. It's sort of like the nails thing. Like I don't like like watching someone that's totally helpless to some other power. Um, anyway, we don't need to go down that rabbit hole. Let's get back to Molly Hartley, which is not well, a possession movie. It's not a possession movie, but I, it was one of the things that began to frustrate me about halfway through it is I was unable to really figure out what the conflict was. Clearly, Molly Hartley is a girl who has problems. Basically, her mom tried to kill her. Her mom is now in a uh, mental institution. She has a father played by the poor man's Tim Roth. Who wants? Oh, to... I was going to say the poor man's Jeffrey Figer. I was going to say <laughs> the poor man's Steve Coogan. <laughs> but um, he's he's well-meaning, but she doesn't have a great relationship with him. Um, it may just be normal teen angst, whatever. Plus her, you know, her 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 stress, her trauma, uh, and she so she's being put into a new school, a prep school, and so then there's the stresses there where she has to like you know make friends, fit in, not let anyone know her mom tried to kill her while she's hearing these whispers and thinking she might be crazy but i didn't really know what the central problem was or what the problem she had to overcome was other than just kind of navigate those things that really bothered me too because i don't really have anything to connect to this girl on like i mean clearly she's going through some shit and i can relate to some of it but she seemed to me just to be written as like a bundle of problems there wasn't really anything likable about her and I I don't know if she really had a personality other than she was kind of fragile and, and scared and traumatized. Well, if she did, the actress didn't do it any justice. Yeah. See, I don't She's know. She's fairly comatose through the entire movie. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I liked her performance, and I don't know. There was something about the character that did feel real to me. I felt like I was watching a real person. I, I, I didn't, I mean, spoiler alert to everyone, I didn't like this movie, but... Uh, oh, I don't think any of us like this movie. Well, no. I kind of like this movie. Oh, really? Oh, shit. We'll, we'll talk shit. about it. Well, we'll get more into it later. <laughs> I didn't like this movie, but I would have liked it a lot less if not for feeling at least some degree of connection to this character. And maybe she was just kind of playing herself in real life. I don't know. But I felt like I was actually watching a distinct person yeah, who seemed she, real to it me. was well acted she seemed real i just don't know if she seemed that interesting and it seems kind of like an oxymoron because if she seems real and it's well acted and she's got all these problems which are kind of interesting why didn't i find the character interesting i don't know well she spends most of the movie just like looking uncomfortable and having panic attacks and, and like, reacting and moaning like and not that's really just kind anything. of exhausting you know like give me a give me a bone give me like a little moment of her experiencing some kind of joy so i know what she aspires to you know when she when she resolves whatever these problems mm. are that she's having this movie reminds me of anguish mm-hmm. that's come up a couple of times wow. recently yeah, i could kind of see that but yeah. just kind of having that that kind of aloof teenage girl who's just moved and is haunted. Oh, I thought you meant the emotion. (laughs) Oh, no. no. (laughs) I think I made Um, that joke on the Anguish episode and it probably landed just as well. (laughs) But, but yeah, but there's things, you know, there's, there's subplots. Uh, I, I, so, so main character. Okay. Supporting cast. I like a lot. Let's talk about the supporting cast of archetypes around her. And that's the thing. I, I like them. And, and some of them, I was almost like, man, I kind of wish this movie had this character as the main character. We've got Christian Bible thumper girl. We've got, Hunk, we've got 
Hunk's bitchy girlfriend. Yeah. Ex-girlfriend. Ex-girlfriend slash ex-girlfriend. On and off girlfriend. We've, Side piece. We've got like quasi-goth bad girlfriend. Who doesn't do a whole lot? No, he just like randomly appears, bursting through doors yeah. and shooting a side eye, and just like times. being sort of a badass. I mean, she serves almost no function to the plot in the end. Like you could, there's no function her character serves that couldn't be served by some other character or that or that our lead, who's what's her fucking name? Molly Hartley, of the oh. lead. boy wow yeah that's right girl's name that's right good no no i was asking about molly hartley i was asking about molly hartley yeah (laughs) boy no more beer for me tonight (laughs) um where even how do we bounce I? back from that <laughs> there's no coming yeah back we got from these that. vague archetypes none of them are given a you know not, none of them are really all that unique or interesting and yet i found myself charmed by a couple of them partially because the hunk is a legitimate hunk um eh. this movie had a little eye candy in it the of hunk course. was so and, and this is something that kind of alienated me from molly because he hits on her the very first day and she kind of sees right through it and doesn't seem to want much to do with him but then the next day nothing has changed and she wants something to do with him maybe that's just high school well my <laughs> big problem and I, I, I this is explained later in the movie but my big problem for the majority of the movie was why is he interested in her like she doesn't give him anything like she uh, barely even responds he's to cute. his advances he's got the big crush yeah yeah but he like goes so far out of his way to like try and bring her into his life and i mean i i'm not gonna you know everybody's beautiful in their own way but like the two are not a very good match in my eye just <laughs> aesthetically and it seems to be all that they share in this movie i, I well I- <laughs> I don't know. I don't that know is a bizarre critique, but okay. Um, I mean, she's not like he's like he looks like he could, he was probably on the cover of Team Beat when it, he was like sixteen. Not, she's like she's not ugly by any stretch of the imagination, but she's not the kind of person that you see attractive. dating that kind of person in high school. Yes, that's a more diplomatic way of putting it. They do not look like a good match, and it seems to me that well, they don't. So you're all any- saying that the the honk jock can only date. Air quotes, pretty girls. Yes, I'm just saying this movie. I'm just saying this movie didn't like explain why he was into her, other than she's like he's just the a new boy. Girl. She's just a girl. Hey, there we go. Can I make sure. it any more obvious? I really liked the Bible Thumper girl. Me too. And I, yeah, I I don't I don't know why I also like felt a weird affinity. For I thought she seemed very sincere. And yeah, like and and. It, I didn't. I could not tell, and and I, I kind of lost sympathy for her because they did eventually turn her into a South Park caricature of a Bible thumper girl. But early on, I was like, okay, she's really into this Jesus stuff, but she's also really sweet and nice and reaching out to our person, and and there's some dimensions there. And it wasn't like and she's like trying to con- She's like trying to. I wouldn't say she's like actively trying to convert Molly, but she's like leaving her door open, you know, like she's like letting her know, you know, I know you're going through some stuff like, you know, having faith could help you. She's but giving she's not, her like, the super aggressive about it. She's giving her the what was the title of that book? The like teen Bible that she gave. Yeah, Molly? It's like the teen yeah. teens devotional Bible. Or yeah, something yeah, like yeah that. that's exactly yeah. what it was. And that's around the part where she started to lose me. And shortly after there, I kind of thought she went she became too one note. She was too always religion all the time. Yeah, I, w- I will say she was like 
maybe not three dimensional, but two dimensional. Yeah, when she it starts did, off and they're in the lunchroom like, and she's like, "They don't like me because I have a relationship with Jesus." She didn't just seem like a joke. Exact line here, which is not far from that, but I thought it was really funny. People make fun of me because I'm on scholarship, and they're offended because I have a close personal relationship with Jesus. Why would people be making fun of her because she's on scholarship? First of all, like the, that comes up several times. Well, in this movie. I don't really understand the politics of this this private school. Yeah. So I mean, she's not rich, not having guess, been, yeah, maybe. not having been in that environment. I guess it's probably just a thing where it's like, oh, you know, you're on a, you know, your family doesn't have the money. Okay, kind of thing. okay, yeah. that would be my guess. But I found that line like funny, like in like a campy sort of way, but also endearing, you know, because she the the actress delivered it so sincerely. I, I think it has a lot to do with the actress, yeah. Because when yeah. you read the line like that, it sounds kind of stupid. Like and, if that were like, like if Divine delivered that line, it would yeah. be fucking hilarious. Yes, but because oh, this God. actress, del- I want to see John Waters is haunting of Molly Hartley. <laughs> I would rather he do something else, but. <laughs> Um, but Be no, I, I and I thought it was very refreshing as long as it lasted that there was a character that religious in a movie that didn't seem to be a faith based film. I was worried it was going to be after. A I while, thought it though. was going to be it's a faith based film too. There's a scene at the end that we'll talk about in the spoiler room where I was like, "Wow, this is like bordering on Christian horror right now." And then yeah. it doesn't it doesn't quite deliver on that, but it comes so close to like having. I will get there. I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll get deeper into it in the spoiler yeah. room. But yeah. for a minute, I was like, am I watching a Christian horror film right now? Right. That's a first. There, there I have seen two. Really? Made by my hometown film director. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> then there's the punk girl. I love the phrase, my hometown film director. <laughs> like, there's a single one. Like, Every a designated Every director for your hometown. Basically. It's an elected position. I um, thought you were your hometown film director. I'd have to make a film. Yeah. Instead of fucking around. So what's really like the... I guess this is sort of one of my problems with this movie. Is like, What is like the thrust of the action from here on out? So Molly keeps having... Uh, you know, obviously she's having a rough time. She's relocated to a new school. She's got this trauma from the past. She keeps being... She keeps thinking that her mother has escaped from the mental institution and is trying to attack her. And we get some shitty jump scares with that. Her father, who's kind of... There's so many fucking jump scares in this movie. Who's kind of I mean, none of them are effective. One of them, no. one, one of them is one of the funniest I've ever seen, which is just an absurdly large roll of magazines and rubber band coming through a mail <laughs> slot. And there's no way it could have fit through the mail <laughs> slot in the first place. I backed it up. I oh like my! That. My favorite was the dog when she's walking home from the party, and just all of a sudden the dog jumps out. And the most vicious her. dog you've ever seen. The dog, like actually, it wasn't just someone's dog. It was like a Hollywood stunt. Yeah. fucking German Shepherd yeah. or something. And you know what? It has nothing to do with anything. There are... I don't know. I mean, we sh- we can probably get into this more in the spoiler room unless you guys want to talk about it now. But my take on this movie is there is nothing scary about it. So they just had to put in some jump scares to keep you to try and keep you awake or on the edge of your seat. Well, there's you like know, almost look, nothing. As every horror movie, I think. Not every. It's like not even paced in a way so as to be frightening. There's a lot of pressure on a horror movie to have a few jump scares when you're when it's this kind of horror movie. Who's putting the pressure on? Not me. (laughs) (laughs) Not me. When when's the last time you saw a horror movie in the theater? Uh, mm, I kind of think because horror movies that get theatrical releases, you go there on opening weekend. It's largely like high schoolers and. They all want to scream at the movie 
Yeah, they oh, all I get that. Screened at I the movie. get that. And this movie is definitely in that class. It's unfortunate that it doesn't seem to offer anything other than the jump scares. There are no like memorable shots where like there's just something like creepy happening. Like even like fucking Blumhouse movies have a few of those. Yeah, you, there's nothing in this movie that makes them. you want to cover your eye. Well, no, and and this is why. I mean, you you make a good point about the teen- teenagers. This is why that this movie made fifteen million dollars. You know, we were just talking about that because. People go, and all they want out of a fucking horror movie, at least a lot of people, is to be startled, is to jump. The jump scares, I don't know, like, the jump scares, some of them were so bland and bad that they didn't even register to me as jump scares. And I watched this with the volume cranked up pretty loud, too. There were only a couple where I was like, okay, they were clearly going for, like, a jump scare. I, I, I mean, they succeeded in startling me in the way that, like, you know, if Chris dropped a ton of you know a brick on the floor right now i'd be like oh well okay if i were half asleep right now and chris dropped a brick on the floor i would jump otherwise i wouldn't in this movie the only time (laughs) i would have jumped the only time the only other time in this movie that i would have jumped is when i was so fucking bored with what was going on and then somebody just randomly jumps through a window or a dog comes out of nowhere or whatever. But well, like, we all, we all scenes, aspire to your level of desensitization, Steven. I would have loved to see you. this movie in the theater. <laughs> I would have loved to see this movie in a theater like on opening weekend. I'm, I'm shocked that it made $15 million. I don't know how big of a release it had, but... I'm so curious about that. I yeah. wish I had. I wish I had thought to gather more information. I don't but. know, but um, you know, I don't. I didn't even need. I was interested. Okay, I will say I was interested in where this movie was going. The supporting cast I thought was compelling enough that I liked seeing them interact. I really liked the scene where they went to the rich hunks house party, um, and you know the punk girl and Molly went there, and then the punk girl kind of got thought she got ditched and was had her feelings hurt even though some of that was a little forced um i i, I liked it I, I was like where is this all going i was curious about where it's all going oh boy so i have a couple thoughts on what you're saying there i so i also was like kind of in the middle for maybe the first third or so of this movie i was like this is not great but there are some characters here that i'm sort of interested in you know we'll see where this goes um but <laughs> Oh boy, that party scene did not do anything for me. It just see, and we were talking about what's the driving, like what's the what's the thrust of the action. Basically, it's Molly's trying to figure out what's going on with these weird visions, and she's kind of trying to funk fu- funk the huck, fuck the hunk. Um, Is she though? She seems so like she wants to like. She wants to half-heartedly impress trying to him, fuck the hunk. but like she yeah okay half-heartedly is great because she seems so like reticent to even go to the party she seems like she'll just do whatever a character wants her to do at any given moment yeah but she'll look kind of upset about it in in the moment too but yeah she's just kind of going along for the motions and the movie just sort of meanders towards some sort of resolution for both those points for for basically the whole running time until the conclusion which is which felt extremely rushed to me, and we're going to get to that. We'll but get to that. Let's talk about that party scene. <laughs> I want to know where these parties, if these parties ever happen in real life, yeah. if they happen in high Same. school, You're too why old have I never been invited to one? Yeah. And I want to have a house someday and have a party, and the theme of the party will be 
high school movie party. Mm. And we will we will have a party just like you see. You want to be in the 1% so you we'll can throw all one be, of these parties. We'll all be 40 years old, but we'll have lights over the swimming pool and a DJ in the living room. Yeah. And we'll break mom's vase yeah. and we'll do all the shit. Somebody will flush a package of frozen burritos down the toilet. <sighs> yeah. Pull you away from making out with your crush right at the crucial moment. Yeah. That party, I like. I honestly don't know why it exists. Why is that scene even in the movie? I what does it theory, accomplish? I had a theory when I was rewriting this movie in my mind, but I can't get to it till we go to the spoiler room. Yeah, okay. But other than these scenes of, of social dynamics, really, I guess the, the question is, is Molly going crazy? Is she like her mom? Is she psychotic? Is she schizophrenic? Whatever, because she's hearing voices in her head and all this stuff. And we know she's got an 18th birthday coming up. We know we saw the character in the right. prologue. Who, so we figure the same thing's going on here. Why so, else would they have shown us that? And what's going to happen when she turns 18? And well, I and guess that's a mystery. Well, and she, Okay, so... One, it's a mystery for us. It's not a problem for Molly. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Cause, yeah. She, she. We know a little bit more than she does that this is not uncommon. Um. That that your 18th birthday might mean something even more terrifying than coming of age as an adult. Um. But like also like a character that we haven't mentioned so far is the school guidance counselor oh, who yes. kind of acts as her her psychotherapist in a way who's telling her everything's fine. This is all normal. I've had therapists like this where like I've had severe panic attacks. I've gone and they're like, people have panic attacks. Don't worry about it. (laughs) (laughs) This woman's attitude on this. So like that drove me a little bit crazy too. And and provided some drama that like, am I, is what Molly's experiencing? Like, is it supernatural? Is it real? Is somehow her mom actually getting out of the hospital and, and sneaking up to her or, or, you know, is it all a figment of her imagination? Well, and the guidance counselor also provided sort of this like armchair psychologist, like quasi diagnosis of like paranoid schizophrenia for Molly. She's like, oh, your mom had paranoid schizophrenia. So basically you might too. There's a oh, well, let's talk component. about that. There's a genetic a component. That's right. Those are the exact words. Let's talk about that for a moment. Um, first of all, this movie is, this is a trope in horror films that we've watched on Netflix. And I can't think of the other examples, but it's come up several times that like don't under, these movies don't understand that HIPAA exists and that you <laughs> can't just read a child, their mother's psychiatric diagnosis that they got while they were in the mental <laughs> institution without permission. Um, Anyway, this is the well, kind of thing th- I key into since I hope to become a mental health professional someday. Well, this was a, f- a fascinating um, subplot for me because um, when I was in college, I needed help scheduling classes. And so I went to the counseling office because when you're in high school, the counselor helps you do that. But I, it was actually like a mental counseling office. And so I walked in there and I was like, hi. And they're like, do you have an appointment? I'm like, no. And they're like, what are you here for? I'm like, well, I want to, you know, figure out what the hell this minor is about. And they're like, oh, this is actually counseling for more personal issues. <laughs> and I was like, well, it's oh. personal to me. <laughs> oh, <laughs> little, little embarrassing moment. Uh-huh. But, but it's funny. This, this Did counselor- you have to get help? For that later in life, recovering from that embarrassing. No, life. but but does the counselor in this therapy? movie does double duty. Yeah, and that's kind of strange. It's impossible. Now that we <laughs> now, now that we've scheduled your first hour, let me diagnose you, armchair diagnosis. After talking to you for thirty seconds. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was wild. Oh my god. Well, there's. I I personally feel like there's not much else we can really get into without talking about 
where this movie eventually leads us in the end. Yeah, and, I feel like we've we should review exhausted it. the hauntings and here. where I wanted it to go. Um, huh? Oh well. Yeah, stay tuned for another episode <laughs> of Chris rewrites the movie. <laughs> Well, Chris, you you picked this movie. Are you ready to review it? Yeah, I'm going to give it a cue. It actually, mm-hmm. um, I not a perfect film by any stretch of the imagination, but it did hold my attention almost all the way through, minus the parts where we're just hearing whispers in her head, which we've seen a million times. Um, I thought the cast was good. The supporting characters were all interesting. I wish. You know, I I kind of wish this had just been like a 13 Reasons Why, where we're just spending time on the drama and we got the the horror elements kind of as a as a dressing. Um, but I was I, <laughs> You're, the reference you just made probably spoke to a lot of people listening right now. But me and Stephen were just like fucking crickets, eyes glazing <laughs> over. It's yeah. fine. I haven't seen 13 Reasons Why. Well, you don't need to. Um, but th- there was a point. In this movie, where I was almost like, all right, this is enough. This is a screw it. But then it, it took a it took a dog leg, and I was like, all right, this is exciting. Did it give you a dog food moment, <laughs> I was just about no, to ask. No dog food moments in this one. But I will say, you know, again, it, put it in your queue. If you never watch it, you're not missing anything. But if it, for a, kid, a horror fan who wants to kill some time and see a few twists and turns and not be too bored compared to some of the other movies we've seen check it out haunting of molly hartley you could do worse you could also do a whole lot better wow wow (laughs) that is the definition of a cue really (laughs) patrick wow 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 that's what i have to say about this so here's an interesting fact about this film that i have not shared yet i fell asleep three different times during this movie which Damn, maybe you should go to the doctor. Well, I mean, I, I, I didn't... Maybe you should see the guidance counselor. Maybe I should. I didn't sleep well last night, which there may be a genetic component to that. But uh, I don't know. I think it speaks something to the quality of this movie as well. I don't know. Early on, as I said, I was willing to give this movie the benefit of the doubt. But as it went on, holy shit, it got boring. And then the ending was just absolute dog shit in my estimation i got up afterwards and walked around the house and just said aloud to myself in an empty house that was garbage so (laughs) screw it maybe with prejudice (laughs) and you know what maybe he's paranoid yeah i may be i actually contemplated the possibility that this may be the worst movie we've seen for every horror movie on netflix so put that in your pipe smoke it and I'll pass the pipe to Stephen now. Oh, yeah. <sighs> Inhale deep. Yeah. Thanks, man. Um, yeah, it's a screw it. I mean, this movie, just from the title alone, we just know that this is just kind of a cheap cash grab. The script is completely unimaginative. I will say there's some some uh, some elements of camp in like the just rudimentary like sub two dimensional characters that populate this private school. It was amusing at times, but the only thing that kept me awake during this were were the the cheap half hearted jump scares, um, and mostly I found them more amusing than anything else. It's just awful. It's awful. I don't know what to say. I was shocked when I learned that this was actually released in theaters. <laughs> um, 
that said, with the budget that it had, that's like the kind of budget of the cheap movies that get made now that just go straight to Netflix. So maybe it was ahead of its time in, in, a, in a certain regard. But yeah, screw it. Fuck it. Damn it. Damn it to <laughs> hell. Damn. Well, I, I can't wait to uh, maybe argue with you guys a little bit about the ending uh, in just a few minutes here. But um, I guess that's it before we go to the spoiler room. So listeners, if you want to watch the, uh, the Haunting of Molly Hartley for yourself and make up your own mind, uh, the time for that is now. Otherwise, follow us down to the spoiler room in just a second. We're going to spoil everything. Welcome back to Every Horror Movie on Netflix. We're back down here in the spoiler room to talk about The Haunting of Molly Hartley. All the secrets about what was going All on. All the hauntings. With her, with her mom, with her dad. With her goth friend, with her Bible thumper friend. Yeah, what the fuck is going on? So, like, at a certain point... Uh, at a certain point, shit starts happening. And that point arguably. is about 25 minutes from the end of the film. Yeah, I think it's about right. <laughs> yeah, I remember I checked the time at a certain point and it said there were 35 minutes left. I'm like, holy fuck, I'm two-thirds of the way into this and I feel like almost nothing has happened. Like, what? What? So, what? So what happens after we tread some water with Molly and her all of her anxieties and her getting to know all her high school friends a little bit, Mom shows up and this time she's not a hallucination, even though I thought it was a dream sequence the entire yeah. time. Oh yeah, this is right after the... Uh, the giant bundle of magazines right. the jump scare that I was talking about. <laughs> and mom tries to kill her again. Yeah. And is and then gives her an exposition dump where we learn what's going on. Yeah. And basically Molly's parents had um miscarriages. Yeah, they, they had a the miscarriages, at least one, and they were pregnant with Molly and there was a difficult birth and Molly was actually, I think, born like stillborn. Well she was born too soon. They were like out to dinner or something at a yeah. restaurant. She's in the she just popped the, right out. Popped right out in the they're bathroom. In the bathroom popped of, right out before dessert. They're 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 in the grimy Gotta bathroom. make room. <laughs> <laughs> but we see a flashback where they're they're on the floor of this grimy bathroom in like a five guys and <laughs> Molly's dead. Normally, that's where babies are conceived, not delivered. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, apparently, like, a witch showed up and was like, hey, we can give you 18 years of happy, healthy baby, but then uh, the devil's going to take her. Yeah, yeah. And I, got, I, like, I got, for like half a second, I was like, ooh, I'm getting Dark Song vibes here. Yeah. Lady True vibes. Or, or Lady True, yeah. So all that was fine the with Watchmen me. Fans. And, and then, so she's like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, we we fucked up, but what else am I going to do? I have to kill you before your 18th birthday. So she tries to kill Molly again. Molly throws her over the stairs and kills her. And this was another moment where I cackled oh, because I cackled that stunt person does like a full backflip on their way from the second floor down to the main floor and it's so funny so so i'm like okay so i'm awake now you got my fucking attention movie i was not expecting any of this shit let's see what you do with it then she goes to 
see her Christian friend who works out of like the Christian learning center or mm-hmm. whatever. And right. Cause she suddenly decides it's time to accept Jesus, which seems a little insincere. Yeah. She's basically, it's like more than a little. Yeah. yeah. It's like, you're She's not like, sorry. Well, what else is she going to do? You're sorry. You got caught. Go for some Jesus. Vitamin J, baby. <laughs> <laughs> so she goes to get her vitamin J. Um, uh, Jesus girl takes her to, to her church. And I thought this was interesting too, because usually when we're talking possession, we're talking Catholic and mm. this girl, I don't, it's not really explained what her faith is. She's some born again, evangelical shit. Yeah. But it's like a evangelical Protestant tradition. I was like, Oh, yeah. okay. Let's see a possession story through this frame. Okay. I got, okay. Before we even get to what happens, I have to say, while I was watching this, I, this is the first time in the movie I felt a little bit of suspense and I wasn't, because I like the Jesus Freak Girl's performance, I knew that it was her performance and not a fault of the film, where she seems suddenly, like, a little bit reluctant to save this girl, to yeah. save Molly. And, like, when they walk up to the church, and the church looks very foreboding, and and, and Jesus Freak, like, kind of stops. There's a sense that she's aware up. of her own bullshit, and she's mm-hmm. not sure if she can really help Molly in this situation. Yeah, and I didn't really know where that was going to go. Well, it turns out, you know, she goes to to baptize, which also, like, I would call this, like, a a backdoor baptizing ceremony because, first of all, I don't think that just any random member of the of the clergy can perform the a congregation. baptism. Congregation, I'm sorry, can, pre- can perform a baptism. Yeah, they're in, like, a YMCA pool. And I could not tell if this is actually a church and if these kinds of rooms actually exist or if this was some compositing going on. Because there's, well, a, there's you've a, never been to the pool at your church before. Well, there's a <laughs> there's a little tiny like you know waiting pool behind the altar. There's like a window <laughs> behind the altar and there's a little pool back there. Yeah, I don't know. It looked like a. I mean, I was gonna say a real set, but obviously that implies that it could have been constructed for the movie. I don't know. It was weird. I liked it. It doesn't matter. I was like, okay, I believe that this is here, whether it's something that's in the real world or not. I I guess, I mean. That's a a very Nicole Byer nailed it reaction. It was weird. I liked it. (laughs) Let me put it this way. I've never seen a photo of anyone's baptism where it took place in like a little recessed like hot tub behind the altar inside the building. Yeah. That's not to say it doesn't exist. I mean, there are, churches have all kinds of unusual architectural features have you been inside a mega church before that's a whole other i have wizard's church. hand there i have but I, just speaking to patrick's point like these yeah churches are fucking weird especially like these weird like non-denominational churches the blurb yeah. for this episode should definitely include that we discuss architectural features of churches because you know that's going to pull listeners in so i wonder what else. this room would be called like i know what like a vestry is and like some of the church terminology i wonder if there's like a term for that little pool aqueduct <laughs> i don't know well but molly this, gets aqua fucked back there jesus this was my favorite part of the movie and and this is where i'm gonna push back on you guys saying there's no imagination in this movie no, no. this scene was great this is great it. and i was like oh really? are we gonna keep this energy up Be- really yeah because what happens is our, our our hero is about to be baptized by jesus girl who's been nothing but a, a saint so to speak for the entire movie <laughs> and, so to speak and as she's like baptizing she's like oh by the way bitch uh i gotta drown you because you're the devil (laughs) and like tries to just drown her in like the baptismal pool and i was screaming i was like oh my this is amazing and then our hero ends up fighting back um cracking her head uh or or, or the the christian girl's head and the christian girl dies 
And now I'm like, okay, it's been like two and a half minutes, and Molly has already like accidentally murdered two of the like five characters in this movie. Is she just gonna go through the whole town? <laughs> like, is this- who's next? <laughs> who's so next? I mean, I I feel like for me at this point it was too little, too late. I was desensitized like Steven to a jump scare, and I just I, I was like, eh, that's a thing. That no, happened. for me this is what I wanted. I'm tired of the stupid ass jump scares. I want to see Molly. I want to see some. I want to see Molly do something, and it was totally surprising that the Jesus freak turned out to turn against her in the end. Shocking. It's totally shocking. Shocking. It's shocking, at least, like, for this movie, which is pretty fucking sleepy until then. Yeah. So it did I'm not like, shock Okay. Me. So. Well, what did you think was going to happen? Did you think she was just going to get baptized and everything was going to be okay? I don't know. Maybe I was just so checked out at that point. I, I, I the, the movie had given me so little reason to care at that point that I just, I was like... Okay, she's deciding to kill her. Whatever. All right. Oh, I didn't think the baptism was going to work. And I didn't either. I, oh, I didn't know the Christian girl may very well die, but um, I, I certainly did not think the Christian girl was actually going to murder her for Jesus. Mm-hmm. And that was hilarious. Um, great, great, great scene. Hmm. I'm, I'm this. The Christian girl is front running the Spirit of J Award. So I 2020. Wow. Well, it's the first movie of 2020, so let's calm down. (laughs) She's leading like Bernie is leading. She's leading uh, like Biden. (laughs) Oh, sure. Uh, No, so, and this was one of the points where I fell asleep, actually. So I watched the scene twice because I woke, I I fell asleep during it, woke up in the middle of it, and was like, okay, I guess I should watch this shit again. And no. That sounds like a personal problem. This was the most thrilling scene I've seen in that a, like in a, a bit. Stephen problem. <laughs> <laughs> it does. Which I did not so, have with this movie. Yes, and I feel like we should reveal the most shocking spoiler of this entire spoiler. Well, I have an attention span. Which is that Stephen watched it all in one sitting. No, let's not draw too much attention to it. Okay. So from and there, I and I watched it in three. Well, I took three naps, so four technically. Fair um, for this film. Uh, I'm surprised I didn't. From there, and this is where the details get hazy for you me. You should have tried it. You might have enjoyed it even more. <laughs> for some reason, she enough. ends up calling Hunky Dude, who's rich with the big house where he had the house party. What's his name, Joe? I don't know. He would be called Joe. Fucking Joe. generic like that. And, and so he picks her up and takes her to his house, and he's like, hey, my dad's got a shit ton of cash. We're going to get on a plane to anywhere. We're going to start a new life, baby. And long story short, Joe, we'll call him the hunk guy, I guess is a Satanist. The school counselor is a Satanist. Um, She ends up going in the house and gets trapped and they bring her dad in and dad's like, no, kill me. And maybe you won't turn into uh, Satan, but she won't do it. She tries to stab herself. Everyone's in on it. Well, yeah, because the twist is that like Joe and the counselor and everybody have basically just been like waiting it out for her to turn 18, right? which felt oddly appropriate to me. It almost like verged on a legitimate creative decision to me because I felt like this movie had just been like waiting out my fucking attention Wait. span and I was like oh this is the entire point is everybody's just kind of like been waiting for her to turn 18 so that they can fuck her devilize her <laughs> I, I, I mean I don't know who knows what their intentions were I, I've seen the movie and I don't really know yeah what um, their intentions were yeah yeah well um, they're all part of a cult the counselor was actually the witch who made the pact to uh-huh. begin with which yeah so ludicrous whatever um 
so basically she just the, the clock strikes midnight and she becomes a satan and and becomes we're like oh shit what's that gonna make what, what well, what's the result of this well then we be? cut to a fucking pop punk song she delivers she's valedictorian oh she delivers a bland speech she gets in a car with with the other satan people and drives off and that's it <laughs> that's the that's no idea. Movie. Not, she, there's she, no creepiness there's no forebodingness in this scene at all you're like oh god like and, and maybe that's what they're trying to say like like now that she's you know the second coming of satan or whatever on earth I, why didn't they she treat- delivers a valedictorian speech that has at best slightly alarming undertones I didn't even think so. I didn't even think so either. What are you talking about? Well, there's about? something in there about how uh, there's kind of a generic line where she's like, uh, you know, we are going, like speaking to her graduating class, you know, we are the ones who are going to change the world or something. And it's delivered with a kind of like, oh, like we're going to, you know, like the Satanists are going to fuck up the world. But again, I mean, it's telling that neither of you guys even like registered that well, because as such. Pop like it has. In the background. It's a bright right. sunny day. It's like fucking her performance the is just fucking comatose the as, as it was the, the rest of the movie. Like her face just doesn't register emotion She at seems all. like the same person, but happy. And it's like, yeah. so what's the problem? Right. There, there's really no reason for alarm. Hail other Satan. Other than we know that the devil oh, is yeah. bad and that she's she's apparently turned sour by the devil. Well, we do get a scene before that where her, her dad is now like, he's institutionalized because he probably went to the police and the doctor and was like, hey, my, my daughter's a Satan. And they thought he was crazy. Well, and if the town so elite are all Satanists, you know, they can easily have him put away. Yeah. And, and so question. Molly seems to have the opportunity to like vouch for dad or try to reach out to him or try to get him out of being committed for the rest of the life. And she's like, nah, he's not my dad anymore. Bye. See ya. So. Oh, God. And we should talk about, I mean, this is a bizarre moment in this whole thing where the honk and the counselor reveal themselves to be Satan's is well, Satan is now like a, a Xerox. <laughs> there's this whole moment where once they've revealed themselves and Molly is at the last minute trying to stop this process, she starts praying to God as the Bible thumper has told her to. And the counselor is like, Oh, you think God's going to save you? You know, God, there's some line. It just feels like the setup for like God himself to intervene, mm. right? Like this feels like this is going to take a hard right turn. No, like the high school drama, felt very small potatoes. It was like whatever kind of Satan she's going to be, it's probably not a big deal <laughs> in the larger scheme of no, things. No, it felt like the script itself was setting up for some kind of religious theme in that moment. And I was like, I thought it was going there and I was about ready to be screaming about that. Well, I wish something had happened. Me too. Instead, they threatened her dad and the counselor is like, well, you could kill your dad and that might uh, invalidate this whole pact instead which is why would the counselor say that i guess to hasten her no okay the counselor knows that like killing her she she says maybe she uses uses the word maybe like maybe that'll that'll save you but she knows it won't she's just 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 having fun yeah Yeah. she's having fun and then molly stabs herself it doesn't work because she's satan now it's already we've heard the clock chime like 47 times at this point she's been 18 for like three minutes it's all <laughs> man it's all just woof yeah Bad. The, i wish there had been a theme 
anything. Something. 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 something that whether I mean her stabbing herself. I don't know what it means in relation to the rest of the story. No. If she had killed her dad, I don't know what that would have meant in relation to the rest of the story. No. no. And and what is it? Yeah. What does it mean for this character that now she's Satan and she's okay? With and now it? she's a valedictorian. She's a Satan. I mean, the, Satan. I'm I, sorry. If I wanted to and Satan if and I wanted, Satan. If I wanted to stretch and really give it benefit of the doubt, I would say maybe. Like, you know, her whole thing has been she didn't fit in at school very well, and now she's embraced Satan, and she's the valedictorian. Are they commenting on high school politics? No, (laughs) private school politics about how influence and money will get you anywhere you want to go? Maybe. I don't know. No, it's not at all. Like, it it didn't even bother to think that far. I have a couple of questions, though. One, knowing how this movie ends, do you think any of the setup works as foreshadowing for what happened on the night she was born uh, when when the witch made the offer right the like the setup all, what do you mean by the setup like the, the setup scene? the setup to her becoming satan in this big reveal that the whole the like everyone in this all the all the important figures in this school know from the beginning of the movie who she is and what she's going to become does that make sense of any of her interactions with those characters i think one it makes sense of the lifeless romance and attraction that joe seems to have for her and we're just yeah. going to keep calling him joe because he he's just trying to keep her close because he yeah. knows that she's going to be satan yeah and so that that for me makes sense of the fact that like there doesn't really seem to be any real mutual attraction between the two of them for the entire movie it kind of makes up for the really just bad acting and screenwriting yeah. for everything that leads up to is this it. movie a secret success no it's not at all <laughs> no no i like that interpretation i think that's probably what they were going for I think it's extremely generous to say they were going for anything, but no. I'm glad you I'm guys on the fence. are extending I'm, I'm them 50, the benefit 50 of the doubt it. there. Doesn't make it a better movie. I'm 50-50 on I it. I thought though. this movie was going to be genius for a second because before, she, when, when she got back in touch with the hunk guy, I said, okay, what do we know about the hunk guy? We know he and his family are extremely rich. That's the whole reason we had this huge production value high school party at their mansion right like there's no reason for that scene to exist and for them to have spent all the money shooting that other than it communicates very clearly that this guy's loaded and there's even lines of dialogue about it oh i didn't know you were rich oh i hope you don't think any differently of me etc i don't know about it being huge production value but i will say that i was impressed that it felt more or less like a real party and people actually seem to be dancing to real music at the very oh, least shot at a it mansion. was it was a much better party than the one in dead awake oh my god yes. oh, yeah um yeah, that was probably the most sparsely attended party in any whoo. film we watch on here yeah and i do that at one bad. point though at, at every one of these parties the kind of fish out of water character has to say man this party's crazy oh, which god. which which molly did at one That's point so but I, I thought like you know out of all the parties we've seen in these movies especially was it American Poltergeist 2 that had the pool party where there were like five people? One of the Poltergeists. I think that was the first one. Was it the first one? Um, it, it looked close enough to not a party that I think actually has ever existed in, of this kind, the, the high school party that Chris wants to throw someday. But it felt authentic enough. We should, when we have a Patreon... This should be one of our Patreon rewards. Get an invite. Is the high school, yeah, invite to the <laughs> Amon High School party. Yeah, we'll just crowdfund it. Yep. $5,000 um, gets you an invite to the Amon <laughs> High School party. You and 15 of your closest uh, Amon fellow fan friends. Great. Sounds perfect. This assumes that people who listen 
to our podcast have friends, let alone friends who are fans. Where are their friends? The well, no, that's the point is that <laughs> their only friends are fellow fans of the podcast. So we get them together and then they all have friends. Also, by the way, listeners, we love you. We know you have friends. We do. I'm we're just, just fucking around. We're just, just trolling you. Around. Troll us back if you need to. I, I thought there was an interesting idea there where maybe we have a, a dad who's who made a deal with the devil his wife got tried to kill his daughter and got institutionalized and so he moved his family away from all that to a new town a new school that happens to be a town where everyone else has made a deal with the devil we kind of got that and it wasn't satisfying yeah okay so here's because a, here's another I, I'm question like, this guy's rich what if he's made a deal with the devil too and that everyone here is can and there's probably like a stephen king story about this because it seems like a very simple concept but i was thinking like okay how interesting would it be if like yeah he because they don't move towns like they stay in the same town she just goes to a different school that was unclear to me I th- I'm pretty sure she just goes to a different school. Okay. Um. To to because she's getting like bullied and harassed for everything that happened, and she's having these panic attacks. So like, okay, fresh start. But I was like, it would be more interesting if like he's like, you know what? I don't believe in this devil shit. I, we're gonna get as far away from here as we can. We're gonna have a fresh start, and they happen to move to a town where he cannot keep it a secret anymore because it's like clear that like everybody else in the town has like some relation to this cult, or they've made deals with the devil. <laughs> themselves and he's like trying to fight to protect her from their influence that would have been more interesting a question i have while watching this movie is okay it's clear that this is a thing that happens in this universe that they're the witches intervene as children are being miscarried and (laughs) offer this pact with the devil do they offer other kinds of packs how many people in the town have made packs with the devil how many satans are there in this town I, i the mind reels I, I just want Jerry Seinfeld to deliver the entire monologue that you just did. How many Satans are there in this town? Is the guidance counselor Satan? Is she a version of Satan? <laughs> so, is, so again, I, what's uh, the deal with Satan? I can't quite say there was no imagination in this movie. There was some it's not enough. Of, it wasn't focused enough. Yeah, I'll say that. Yeah, room for improvement for sure. All right. Well. All right. So what are we watching that. next week? <laughs> It's uh, Patrick's turn to pick what we're watching next time. What are we watching next time, Patrick? All right, so let me first get into a little bit of the philosophy behind my pick. There are some quote-unquote good horror movies on Netflix right now. I was looking through the, the listing, and I was like, oh, that looks exciting. That's supposed to be a good movie. I'm into this. Okay. But I think we have to keep delving into a little bit of the muck of Netflix horror as we Didn't go we along. Didn't we just do that? Well, we did. We did. But I... I I support continuing to do that. But I'm playing Resident Evil right now, and Resident Evil Afterlife is on Netflix. I've never seen any of these movies. Have you seen any of these movies, Chris? I've seen the first one. I saw the first one in theaters. Okay. I haven't seen any of them. I don't know where this falls in the chronology. Probably doesn't matter. And it probably has nothing to do with the game that I'm playing right now. Nope. But I'm just like... Let's go. I want to check out this franchise I've never seen before. Drop me into the fucking middle of it. Resident Evil Afterlife. That's right. That's, um, all right. I bet it's going to be about as fun as watching you play Resident Evil while we were getting set up today. Can't wait. Are there other Resident Evil movies on Netflix? Uh, no. There are not. I mean, even if we wanted to Uh, watch others that, like, gave us some context on Netflix, we could not. No, I, um, I actually just texted my friend last night with a picture of Resident Evil Afterlife on Netflix, and I said, oh? 
I'm about to watch this whole series based on this image alone. The I can't see image. it. The Let thumbnail picture. I need something to get me this, excited because this, this sounds fucking miserable. This guy wearing sunglasses in the chair who's a character. He's a recognizable. I mean, it looks very Matrix. It looks a, super Matrix. He is a recognizable character from the video game series. Okay. But maybe the worst looking adaptation I could imagine mm. of him. So I'm fascinated. There's like fucking six in, or seven of these movies. Yeah, there's a lot there? of them. Yeah. yeah. Oh, all right. Fuck. Cool. Well, um, all right. See you Resident guys in a couple Evil weeks. Afterlife. We're doing it in a couple weeks. We're doing it. Turn that frown upside down, Steven. <laughs> See, what's going to happen is you two are both going to be geeking out about Resident Evil. I guess I'm going to have to start playing these games. No, uh, have you never weeks. played any of them? No. I don't so, know anything about the mythology. So until recently, I had not played any of them. I'm playing Resident Evil 4. I know nothing like, I'm a fucking child, a babe in the woods, wandering around this fucking castle. Before, while Chris was setting things up, I was playing, and some character showed up. I was like, who the fuck is this? Is, that who, is, is this who Mila uh, Jovovich, Jovovich, however you pronounce her name, is this who she plays in the franchise? And Chris is like, no, she's from the past games. Don't worry about it. So, I am only slightly less ignorant than you. No, I, I, I don't know a whole lot. I mean, I've, I'm just, as someone interested in... in gaming and in horror i'm aware of the resident evil franchise i've played uh, a couple of the games all the way through i've played halfway through one of the other games i know the basic themes and characters at a, at a the thirty-five thousand foot view so i think you're um, going to be our spirit guide I'll on be this your one spirit Chris. Guide the best you can I lend can. us the perspective but don't confuse me for a resident evil expert yeah and we might have to try and find a resident evil expert for next and, episode. oh i could i could i could get one patrick um I just made him play Resident Evil 4 because it's, it's one of my favorite video games of all time. But, and specifically, but, you made me play the Wii edition. Um, you could play... We'll talk about that later. <laughs> but Resident Evil 4, I think Resident Evil fans would say it's, it's quite disconnected from the rest of the mm. series. Or at least, especially mm. the classic mythology of Resident Evil 1 through 3, which kind of kept the same universe and tropes that I think the movies are based off of. Well, I was so. primarily puzzled because... Obviously, the Resident Evil movies, I know, have a female protagonist. Yeah. Whose name is Alice, I think. Yes. Um, and obviously, the protagonist of the game is... Well, you know. so, well, Alice is a unique invention for the movies. And is Leon, there? who is the star of Resident Evil 4, is in Resident Evil 2. There's also another playable character in Resident Evil 2 who's a woman. The, the protagonists of the Re- Resident Evil series shift. You, you never play as the same character for like more than one game. Mm-hmm. Well, we should probably like chop this entire discussion out and put it at the beginning of next next episode. I mean, I'm joking. I'm joking. But in the meantime, you know, as usual, follow us, Amoncast, E-H-M-O-N-Cast, go buy our t-shirts, merch store, link on the website. Show us a picture of you wearing it looking sexy. Every horror movie Please. on Netflix.com. You can every also, horror flick. Every horror flick. You can contact us and send us your pics of your shirt there. And uh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, and also review us. You know, rate us, review us. That helps people discover the podcast. Share, share us with your friends. Yeah. Steal your friend's phone. Unlock it. You know their code. I mean, you know don't that, fuck around. You know that, that nerdy guy you know who's just covered with Cheeto dust all over his hands all the time. Whenever you go to his house, it smells like stale pizza. And he's just playing Resident Evil 2, and he won't put it down to even greet you at the door. 
reach out to that guy and say, hey, you know what? They're doing Resident Evil uh, Aftermath. Just uh, listen, listen passively. Time. Just play it with the sound off while yeah. you're playing while video you're games because it's going to help these guys out, meaning yeah. us. Yeah. I feel like that's a gross and gruesome stereotype of our uh, target audience, but do steal your works. friend's phone, open their podcast app, type in every horror movie on Netflix, subscribe them, and also rate and review the show five stars for just, them. Just, and if you yeah, can't fig- if you phone. can't figure out the code, I learned a trick from from the movie Wounds on Hulu. Just hold the phone up to the light just so and you can see the fingerprint patterns. Oh. And fuck around and you'll you probably figure it out in like three tries. Take, That's devious. Take their unconscious finger and press it to their yes. touch ID. Yes. Go on uh, the podcast app. Yeah. Hold it up to their face while they're sleeping. Absolutely. Yeah. Do any we want five stars by any fucking means necessary. Kill whoever you have to. Go and do your duty. For every horror movie on Netflix, I'm Chris. (laughs) I'm Patrick. And I'm Steven. See you next time.